Leadership Confessions with Phil Rose from Clarity Leadership. Hi and welcome to the latest episode of Leadership Confessions with me, Phil Rose. Look, I'm delighted that we have today's guest, Celia Geyer from Belmont Hotels. Now, Belmont Hotels is a an amazing brand of luxury hotels all over the world. They're part of the LVMH group, Louis Vuitton, Moe Hennessy. Celia, our guest today, uh, was appointed Senior Vice President for Design and Project Development in June 2018. And she's leading the realization of their brand vision across architectural and interior design, which is a key pillar of the company's long-term strategic plan. Since joining, Celia's rare ability to combine core elements of design with master planning has been instrumental to the delivery of several successful and award-winning renovations across the company's global portfolio, which is including the Belmont Cadogan Hotel in London, the Belmont Cap Julica in Anguilla, and the Grand Suites on board the iconic Venice de Saint-Plan Orient Express. Celia joined Belmont from Hilton, where she held the position of Vice President Architecture and Design for EMEA. And she acted for three years as Chairman of the Judging Panel for the prestigious European Design Hotel Awards. Wow, that's an impressive, uh, an impressive bio, Celia. Welcome. Uh, how are you today? Thank you, Phil. I'm very well. It uh, sometimes sounds like you're talking about someone else when you read that. <laughs> well, look, I, I just think, and, I, and it won't be me, you've just got the most amazing job to try and put it into some simple language. You get to design um, some of the, just the, the most luxurious hotels all over the world. Is that right? I am exceptionally lucky. And I think when I talk to people in the good old days in the pub, as you say, um, people say, and you get paid to do that. So <laughs> I'm very lucky. Yeah, it, it does sound an amazing job. So look, just I know itself, it, it spans several uh, areas. So just give us a brief overview of your role. So I'm actually, as you know, an architect by training and started out my career by actually designing hotels and, and leisure destinations in the luxury sector. Learned a lot about the business side of things at Hilton. And then I decided it's time to go back to hospitality uh, in the luxury sector with uh, with Belmont. I look after hotels and trains, boats, safari camps, and I plan all the CapEx program to do all the design and construction for Belmont. So it's it's quite nice. I always say I, I deal with my stationary babies, which are the hotels, but we also have quite a lot of moving uh, assets, which is really fun to look after too. I manage people from a day-to-day perspective, uh, and we look after teams that design all of these. We set the direction for the design and make sure that it is tracking our brand aspirations. And then, of course, through the construction, which then becomes quite the fun and stressful times often, um, until we then open and hand over to the operations team when uh, the lucky travellers and tourists can come along and, and stay in these beautiful places. So it does sound like a, an amazing role to have. Uh, and I guess... I don't want a, a, a full sort of CV here or resume, but what what are the significant events that have led you, that have shaped your life in, in doing what you're doing today? My father is an engineer, well, was an engineer, I suppose, in the building industry. And I always said that I'm going to be the rebel in the family because so many of my brothers and brother-in-laws were also engineers and decided I'm going to go on the real design side and become an architect. So... 
I was actually, I think, set on becoming an architect since I was a very little girl. Um, I discovered when I was in um, unpacking my parents' house when they were downsizing that my kindergarten report, I was building little timber houses every every break time at the timber table. <laughs> so I think I was destined to be an architect for a long time. But it then uh, was really good fun, but hard work to actually become an architect, which takes seven years normally. My path took me a little bit longer because I had a lot of fun along the way and then ended up working part-time whilst I was doing my second degree. And interestingly enough, my first time round that I did my design thesis, I learned my first big lesson in my career, and that is politics. I switched allegiance from studio leaders to go for my critiques from one big studio leader to another. And the one that I switched away from is the guy that was absolutely instrumental in making sure I failed my first thesis. Wow. So the second time around I did it, and I was already working and <laughs> running my own practice as an architect at that point in time, just couldn't call myself such. Um, the panel went around, decided that I was going to come through with a first or a, or a distinction, as we call it in South Africa. And this guy tried to fail me again because he had such a vindictive taste, the fact that I decided that I did not value his input the previous year. So they agreed to pass me, but I did have four job offers in the evening of, of our presentation of the dissertation. <laughs> <laughs> so I learned very early on what it means to be politics, how to handle people to change things around your way rather than probably the abrupt way I did it when I was a student. So that was a very interesting formative uh, event in my life. And then I realized that I need to just make sure that I watched everybody from the top down, bottom up, and make sure that I have everybody on my side and, and on board, even if they, if they do or don't agree with me. So, you know, and I know a lot of people... Uh, and, and you and I have both heard this around, you know, people don't want to do politics in a corporate world, but that feels slightly naive because it exists. So it, it's about how you influence it. Yes. And I think, you know, I think that as a leader of my team, I often say to my team, look, I am taking care of the politics for you so you can get on with a job. And and it's it's crucial. That was I learned that in Hilton, that my previous job, you know, my my previous boss used to say that to us and he truly did take care of that and I admired it very much so I I try and take the heat of the politics away so my teams can actually just get on with the job and not having to deal with all the intricacies and then I try and guide them about how to handle different personalities which often take away quite a lot of the politics. That, that leads me into my next question quite nicely, Celia, which is, you know, when, when you think about leaders that, that you admire, who springs to mind? But, you know, just as importantly as who, what is it about those leaders that, that you admire? Interesting. I was on an airplane, as I, as I am quite often for my job, and, and watched a movie on a long-haul flight called Maiden. And it was about Tracy Edwards, um, who skippered the first all-female crew around the Whitbread race back in the 19, late 1990s, I think it was. Um, 
I only discovered after that she's actually a local lass. I don't know if you know, she she grew up in Pangbourne. So that was quite interesting. I, I didn't know that. But her tenacity and her gumption and her um, perseverance of of following through her dream, of leading that crew through incredibly difficult challenges just to get to the race in terms of sponsorship they couldn't get sponsorship nobody believed a female crew could do it because you know you're just a bunch of girls um and she proved to the world that they can do it and that they can do it very eloquently so i think it was it was really inspiring for me to see in those days how tough it was to be seen as a female leader and through her courage that she did throughout this whole time of that race, um, she managed to get herself awarded an MBE because I think it really changed the view of sports commentators in the UK. Um, because when she failed to to win uh, the leg and and had a really serious problem when they come into Sydney, she changed tact. And, you know, they all came in dressed in the most beautiful swimwear, as as elegant as girls can be, you know, um, in those days. And, and everybody still cheered and loads of boats came in to, to bring them in. But the final bit of the movie when... When they come around, um, the needles coming back into Southampton, uh, they know they had not won the race as they wanted to because they were leading um, or second in their category for the first few legs. And they knew they had lost that bit. Um, so they were kind of down but happy to be home. And as they turned that corner around the needles, the first few boats came to collect them. And in the end, they had a flotilla of nearly a thousand boats that actually sailed with them into Southampton. And I think for me, the whole learning on that was, if you truly believe and you have the um, perseverance and the right ways of finding ways around the challenges, you will get there one way or another. And I think that's really given me a lot of courage in in difficult, tough situations when you think, I just don't see a way out of here. There is always a way. You just have to find it. So I'd, I'd like to come on to your, your personal challenges and professional challenges shortly, but how, how would you describe your leadership style? My leadership style is to create a very collaborative environment mm -hmm. and yet be very transparent with my team. Um, I believe that you can employ people that know a lot more than you and empower them and give them the tools to do the job and you guiding. So, I mean, I think I am the, you know, I'm conducting the orchestra. I don't have to be able to play all the instruments, but I need to make sure that everybody plays together in order to create that beautiful symphony. And and, and what shaped that? You know, that, that wouldn't have been, I don't know, that wouldn't have been Celia graduating from university. What's shaped those, you know, those, those three traits that you talked to? You talked about collaborative, transparent and empowerment. What, what shaped that? What was very interesting, as a junior architect, um, I was given a job to do under under the um, leadership of one of the principals of the company. And we followed all his wishes and his creative direction and, and followed through the job. And I was leading a team of architects down in Bahrain on a project um, in, in the country. And when I came back and he presented it to the 
uh, just one of the ministers, I think, of the country. Um, the pushback, I wasn't at the presentation. And he came back and then he totally stabbed the whole team in the back and turned his back on us because he then said he wasn't wrong and that, you know, blamed the whole team for everything. And, you know, in, in the world of architecture, your presentations don't always go well because it's such a personal taste what, what design is all about. And he then continued to to throw me off the team. And I ended up working and, and, and getting a far better opportunity in the company, working for another principal. And eventually we became really good partners in crime. And it taught me so much about standing up for your team. If it is wrong, it's your fault as much as it is the team's fault and you stand up you the leader you take the punch and you take the punch for the team and then go and fix it but you do not stab your team in the back and then you know move away and, and just throw them away and i think that to me taught me so much about collaboration and teams and i think so many people learn lessons from just how not to do it rather than always necessarily seeing the perfect role model it's actually saying that's exactly how i don't want to be and that's what oh, you're describing there. Completely. I think you learn so much more through your mistakes than you learn through your great things. So, so then that, that's 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 leads me nicely and then on to what what what's been sort of biggest challenges and and well actually let's start with the mistakes. What do you think your biggest mistake has been as a as a leader and what have you learned from it? Well, I was thinking about that when when we talked about it, and I think to me it's probably in my world not so much mistakes as in every project has incredible challenges and i think my my most incredible challenge project i've learned so much on how to not do a project um so when i first joined belmond uh actually through the interview process i've been asked and the recruitment agents asked and the various people that i interviewed with asked how do you deal with challenging situations and uh, conflict with contractors and you know, I, I probably should have known something was coming. So the day that I started, my boss said, this job is your first priority. And this particular job is your second priority. And this particular job is also the third priority. And it was all the same project. So within a few weeks, I ended up on site in the Caribbean, where we were doing a hotel that we had acquired the year before, and planned to renovate fully. But a month or two within um, the time that we'd acquired it, Hurricane Irma came along, one of the biggest hurricanes they've ever seen in the Caribbean, and, and wiped out virtually the whole site. And of course, the whole cost of the whole job just spiralled out of control. So in addition to that, they then decided to still go within the same timeline of construction, which is a task that is not impossible because there's only so many hours in a day that you can do things. My predecessor, unfortunately, did not have the relationships or the strength to actually stand up to the business and say, you are going to spend far more and have far more to fix later on if you continue on this destructive path. So cut your losses, get over it. There's a year of no income and we're going to do the job properly, but it's going to take an additional year. So I was firefighting with my poor project manager who was on the job and she was completely underqualified for the type of construction that was going on. She had a great qualification for the last part of the 
of the process, but not the full process whatsoever. So I had to babysit that process. And when I discovered not just the timing, um, we also had incredibly bad relations on site. So it was a really toxic situation that I walked into. And we managed to open that hotel partially, I may add, um, (laughs) three months later than they planned uh, originally. And we had a really successful but very tough opening first season. But I learned so much about how to make sure relationships are there, even if people's personalities totally clash naturally. How do you get them to talk to each other and sit around a table and actually come to an agreement and sometimes having to agree that you would disagree and it's fine. So it was very interesting and how to be um, open and transparent with your communication and not just do the blame game because the blame game gets you absolutely nowhere by finger pointing saying wasn't me it was that one that did that that who did that and so forth it just it just doesn't get you anywhere so it really taught me a huge amount of communication uh, collaboration how important transparency is and and making sure that what you say, you know, as an architect, we're very guilty of it, especially when we're in in, in uh, mixed disciplines kind of world. So I'm the only architect kind of or uh, with a design department, but the rest of the company and the core business is really about hospitality and operations. They don't necessarily understand my language. <laughs> and I have to remember that. So, you know, that was very, very evident there as well. So that's another big uh thing that I always speak to my team. Remember, we read plans, drawings, we know what we're talking about. But when you relay that to someone else, remember, they may have never seen a drawing in their life, and they actually don't have a clue what you're talking about. And in your in your journey to get where you, I would imagine you've had a number of challenges and obstacles to overcome. You know, just give us a sense of some of those and how you've done it and how you've gone about, how you've gone about it. Interesting. When I left Hilton for this job, I kind of skipped a level because this job is my previous job's boss's boss's job. So it was it was interesting when I arrived and and having to learn very quickly that I am the authority in the company on my subject. I am the person that needs to take that lead and lead the whole team and give the feedback to the company within that field. And that was quite an eye opener and learning to communicate at a C-suite level versus just, you know, reporting into somebody that's gonna report into somebody else. Mm-hmm. Um, it was it was a big learning curve. And I think, you know, some of the um, round table dinners that I've attended with you, I think it's been really helpful for me. Just understanding how other people have challenges, how you communicate, um, getting the level of communication right. They don't want all the detail. That's your problem. Just give the precise uh, good communication. As somebody often said, it takes far longer to write a short email Mm. than it is to write an essay. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, and and then how have you found that when you feel like you're speaking a different language, when you're you're having those board meetings and you're kind of the only one speaking that language? how does that feel? How do you handle that? At first, I was really nervous. Um, 
it was, and I also work with, you know, half of our executive team are Dutch. So I come from South Africa, so I understand it very well, but it still is very abrupt when you deal with with our species, should I say, and, and, and receiving that and not just normally being aware of that was, was quite interesting. So I just learned to prepare for that better so that you actually think about what you're going to say before you go into the room and also challenge yourself on what might be the questions that's coming from other sides of the business and trying to get three steps ahead so that you can actually then report at the light, at the right level. And that was really it. Just prepare, be prepared. Don't try and do it on the fly. Definitely don't talk BS when you're in a company. <laughs> if you don't know, say yeah. so, and it's yeah, fine. Yeah. You know, you can always say, you know what? I need to go back and find that information for you, but I'll get back to you and then make sure you follow up. And it's the, having the confidence to be able to do that, isn't it? You know, which is yes. really important. So when, he, when you know, today, when are you at your best, Celia? What, sort of, what processes have you put in place for you to be at your best? I need to be physically fit <laughs> and, and I need to be well fed. If I'm hungry, forget it. It's not going to work. So if I'm hungry and I'm not fit, it's it's even worse. So I really need to make sure that I keep space for myself in my head. I get that when I exercise. I get that when I walk my dogs uh, or when I have a glass of wine cooking with Dave in the evening. Um, you know, so it's it's getting myself in the right space so that when I get to work, I am at my best to take on challenges and everybody else's problems. Um, I like to be really busy. I am at my best when I'm very busy. If there's multiple balls that I'm juggling at the same time, I love it. I have been nicknamed the Duracell bunny before in my life. So, but you, you, what you're, what you know, when you first started that that statement, it was about actually firstly being <laughs> being fit and well fed, <laughs> so that you can, you can be at your best at work. Yeah. So what does what does high performance look like to you when you're looking at other people around the you know the board meetings or when you're looking at uh, potentially recruiting people when you know when you sort of see high performance at its very best and you know you talked about Tracy Edwards earlier on what 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 is it what are the characteristics for you in high performance? A well balanced team that respects each other but is also prepared to learn from each other. To me, I think that pulls high performance together in its best form. They need to know how to handle difficult and stressful situations and keeping calm and level-headed so that they can make clear decisions. And I've always, when I interview people, it's as important for me that they have the skills to do the job as that their personalities are going to fit within the framework of, of the team. Celia, you talked about being level-headed, but, you know, what rattles your cage? You must be on site and it feels like everything's a disaster. So what causes the red mist to come down for you? Phil, especially on site, it, it's many times that you get situations, but if people patronises me or patronises anybody in my team, it's murder. It's absolute red mist. I can't stand it. I have... Uh, I'm, the, I'm the baby of five children. So as the baby, I so often got patronized, especially by my, I call him my little brother because we were the two youngest. 
And he knows just how to press my buttons. But <laughs> it made me realize, and it's a terrible thing to say, but I think having grown up in South Africa in a fairly male chauvinist world, I often felt patronized as a female in the early days of my career. And I think it's so disrespectful. So for me, it's truly about respecting people. And as a female architect on a site where you often have, you know, you the minority, and if you are giving instruction, you've got to do it so carefully to make sure that people do respect you and you don't get yourself into situations where people then patronize us. If you have been patronized, what does, what does Celia look like, sound like if that happens? <laughs> well, Phil, I have to say, I didn't realize it myself, but my team said, my hand comes up. I kind of have this wave of the hand with a back facing you that I just wave about and, yeah, without realizing I'm doing it. <laughs> so since they've alerted me that I do that, when the hand comes up, I know I'm in trouble. So I calm down and, and try and, and rethink the situation. Uh, love it. Thank you. Um, uh, switch attack a, a, a tad. There will be a number of younger people listening to this podcast going, wow, you really have got the coolest job in the world. You get to design the the swankiest hotels all over the world and you get to go work in the Caribbean. You know, just, just saying that, I think on this podcast, some people go, wow, that's amazing. <laughs> um, what, what advice would you give for, uh, for aspiring leaders? I always say to people when I mentor them, believe in yourself, be yourself and be confident, but also be prepared to make mistakes. And especially introverted uh, introverted people, um, I think they are, especially in the workplace, a lot of women feel that they can't be themselves or introverts feel that they can't be their own person. Be yourself and that will give you the confidence to do your job properly. Love it. Thank you. Professionally and or personally, how have you overcome and dealt with your biggest setbacks? Interesting. I suppose, you know, um, some years ago, I was um, in the unfortunate position to lose my husband. He, he just uh, killed over with a heart attack whilst I was away on business. And what it really taught me was to really renewly look at my work-life balance. At that point in time, I was away. Obviously, I felt extremely guilty about it. But work came first in my life at that point in time. And I realized that really work is there to be able for you to have a lovely life. So enjoy your job, but make sure you get that wonderful personal time, which is really what we're all about. Love being with your people, with your friends, with your family, and really make that that time count. And it's taught me how to switch off properly. I can switch off at the weekend and people say, how do you do it? And I said, oh, yeah, have you have you discovered this little button on your phone? And they said, well, what do you mean? And I said, it's, it's, it's an off switch. <laughs> and I think people find it really hard to switch off, but I, I, I find it essential and it's really changed the way I think about life, I act in life, and I am. And and it means that I'm also more effective at work because I do switch off. So thank you for sharing that, Celia. Give, give us an insight to, to what you do outside of work. You know, you talked about being fit, but, but you know, give us a sense of Celia outside of work today. 
Well, I guess, Phil, you must know that I love mountain biking. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, cycling, mountain biking, road riding, anything to do with bikes. I, I really love it, um, especially in big mountains. That's even better. I love walking with my dogs. It really makes me happy. Um, I really love cooking and cooking is where I it, where I relax. I, I love standing in the kitchen and cooking. And of course, cooking goes with a glass of wine. You can't really cook without. And then entertaining friends. Love it. I love exploring new things. I like to go to the theatre. Um, I like to try new things, um, go to new places. Even though I travel a huge amount for work, I will always have the travel bug. And I love to see new places all the time. Have you got a favourite destination of your group of hotels? You know, I know that the one closest to you and I is uh, uh, Le Manoir of Cat Cezanne, but have, you must get asked this question all the time. <laughs> that's like that's like saying who's your favourite child. Your favorite child? Well, I, 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 <laughs> I think I think a couple of things. Peru to me is very close to my heart. Extremely special. I love the people there as well. Um, we have hotels in the most exquisite locations um, right at Machu Picchu's entrance um, we have a train there called the Andean Explorer that you can go for three days through the Andes to the most beautiful destinations it's it's truly Peru is really close to my heart and then I guess you know Venice Simple and Orient Express is such a legendary train and I was very lucky right early on in the job when I was still enjoying it as a as a, a a real traveller rather than being treated as the person who's in charge of all the design. Um, we experienced a, a journey on that train and it was magnificent. It's really special. So, yeah, I think I think between Peru and the trains and then the safari camps will always be close to my heart because that's <laughs> Africa course. and it's under my skin. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, and what does what's the future hold for you? Well, having all these beautiful properties and an incredible portfolio to look after I think I feel really responsible actually we've got some historical buildings that date back to 1500s that we're looking after so making sure that they then get the right love and attention to maintain their future and create that heritage for the future and preserving all of that I feel I'm going to do this for a little while I, I I think that's really essential. And another passion, which I probably haven't mentioned yet, what, but it's sustainability. I actually did my second thesis on that, which actually set me up in, in quite an interesting direction in my career. But I'm really passionate about sustainability. And I'm finally working for a company who has a long-term approach to investment, who believes that if you invest in sustainability, it is the right way. So for the first time in the hospitality world, I feel that we can truly put, you know, put your money where your mouth is and actually get sustainable development underway. So that to me is something that uh, I'm also really excited about. So I'm going to I'm going to hang around here for a little while. Good, good for you. And then a, a few quick fire questions to, to close off on. Uh, what's your guilty pleasure? Fabulous wine. Love it. And, <laughs> and, and, and of course, a few wonderful glasses of champagne and with our parent company, LVMH, mm, <laughs> I've been exposed to some real amazing beauties. <laughs> good, good for you. Uh, what, what's one thing you'd put in room 101? Commuting. Commuting. Bring teleporting in, please. 
I would love that. Long commutes to London, I don't miss that. What's one of your, maybe we should be asking Dave this, what's one of your most annoying traits? <laughs> when I was chatting to him about it, he was very clear. At home, I'm always right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's learnt well. Uh, uh, and, and what makes you smile? Blue skies, sunshine, and watching my three generations of Labradors grow up, it's just, yeah. It makes me smile when the sun is out. I'm I'm South African and African after all. Celia, thank you. Uh, look, I you know I'm going to reiterate what an amazing uh, role you have. It, you know, it does sound a privilege, but uh, Belmont are lucky to have you and doing what you're doing and the way in which you do it. Uh, an exceptional leader. Uh, I want to thank the support that you give Clarity in the programs you invest in, and it's been it's been another wonderful edition of Leadership Confessions. So, Celia, thank you. Thank you, Phil. It was my pleasure. Leadership Confessions from Clarity Leadership. Email hello at clarityleadership.co.uk and subscribe to receive every episode as it's released.